Thanks for listening and subscribe today for our new Substack newsletter. That's Michael Medved's context placing today's big events in the unique perspective of our past and our future. Go to michaelmedved.substack.com and sign up today for my uncensored take on current controversies. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day in the sense of being consequential, of being important, of being meaningful, of being historic, because the Iowa caucuses are tonight. This the anniversary of the birthday of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. The King holiday doesn't always fall on his actual birthday. Today it does. He was born on January 15th, 1929. And uh, while we honor him, and we honor him as somebody who gave America a great deal of hope and inspiration, there's not so much hope and inspiration coming from Iowa. Uh, There, in fact, is a uh, front page of the New York Times, a piece that says, Grim feelings saturate Iowa ahead of vote, bipartisan dread of a nation in turmoil. And what that is about is something uh, that I think Jonathan Allen is perfectly situated to comment on. He is the senior national politics reporter for NBC News. He is the uh, author of the best-selling book about the first uh, successful Biden campaign. It was actually Biden's third campaign for the presidency in 2020. He's in Des Moines right now. Uh, Jonathan, um, aren't you supposed to say cold enough for you? (laughs) It is very cold here, Michael. Uh, It's been uh, sub-zero for a couple of days. And, you know, for folks who haven't experienced that, I cannot explain how cold that is. Okay, it, it, the, the idea that there are grim feelings going on and what Lisa Lehrer is writing about in the New York Times is how very often people are exuberant, they're ebullient about finally the caucuses are here and you're all going to come out and you're going to be sitting in somebody's living room and, and you're going to be debating and advancing and calls you a favorite candidate. I hear apparently... What a lot of people are talking about is this being a prelude to civil war and to dangers to our democracy. Have you come across some of those negative feelings in uh, your travels in Iowa? Yeah, I would put it a little differently and partially because I, I don't have any intention of fanning the flames of a of a theoretical civil war. Um, but, you know, I, I think what I've come across a lot is um, there are a lot of people who are very disaffected. Um, in terms of the political process, who don't believe uh, that the institutions of government and civil society have been serving them well, and I, you know, I think uh, it's been well chronicled the last, you know, twenty or so years, um, you know, between the the two wars and the financial crisis of two thousand eight and the pandemic. Uh, it's just been a, it's been a rough, you know, roughly generation. Um, and uh, you know that has uh, that has given the public a, a lot of pause about uh, the current leadership of the country. Um, you know whether you're talking about the president over over the last number of years or the Congress over the last number of years, and um, that that feeling is uh, is certainly persisting. And what what about the idea last time that we had a contested Iowa caucuses? It was 2020 when it was, caucuses were contested between Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders on the Democratic side. 
And the whole thing was a blown up as a disaster, which uh, uh, helped to convince American people that there's something wrong with our electoral process. Uh, have have you seen people who are concerned about, especially with all the inclement weather, uh, some other kind of uh, malfunction that would delay the results of this uh, these caucuses tonight? Yeah, in some ways, um, I think the weather may actually uh, may actually preclude or at least dampen uh, arguments about you know rigging the process. Uh, because it's quite evident why people would not show up to the to the caucuses today. And of course, the the Republicans have a much simpler caucus system than the Democrats. The Democrats have, you know, what people have become familiar with watching over the years of uh, of voters coming together and, and you know standing in different corners to show which candidates they want and then reorganizing. The Republicans show up at their caucus event, uh, surrogates for each of the candidates give little speeches and then everyone votes by secret ballot so it's a much more sort of straightforward traditional like i said secret ballot process uh, but uh you know i don't think there's going to be any doubt as to to why turnout is down if it is down because not only is it very cold but uh even in the cities even in des moines um you know a lot of the roads are still you know basically blocks of ice is it your guess that the conventional wisdom is correct? Is it the only real fight is a fight for second place between Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley? Yes. Uh, it would be a shock if Donald Trump did not win these caucuses. And when I say a shock, I mean that it would be um, as if my Washington Nationals had uh, risen from last place last year to, uh, <laughs> to win the World Series. <laughs> Yes, that would have been that would have been that kind of shock. But uh, again, uh, if Trump, uh, I know people have used the figure of fifty percent. Uh, can uh, Nikki Haley go on as a credible candidate if she does finish third and not second? Can Ron DeSantis go on if he finishes third and not second? And uh, because so that- next we have New Hampshire eight days from now. Yeah, the, I think that the um, I think that finishing second or third matters more for DeSantis than it does for Haley. That is to say, Nikki Haley will move on to New Hampshire, where she is running a clear second to Donald Trump. Whether she finishes second or third here, um, you know, the, she will probably not finish a distant third um, until the most recent polls had come out. It looked like she was going to finish third, and of course, the most recent polls have had her. And, second place here by a few points. Um, but with DeSantis, uh, the problem for him if he finishes third uh, is twofold. One, it means Haley basically came from behind to, to get that second position here in Iowa. And also, the map turns to New Hampshire, where Haley is in second place. And I haven't seen the latest polling, but uh, before Chris Christie dropped out, he was in third place there. And so DeSantis was running you know, very distant in New Hampshire. Um, it is unlikely he will win a Nevada caucus that will be uh, likely dominated by Donald Trump. And then, uh, you know, the other uh, early primary state of South Carolina, which is uh, Nikki Haley's home state. And it's not that she's expected to win there, but, um, you know, finding room to, uh, you know, between her and, and Trump will be difficult for DeSantis. Um, OK, what comes next, uh, it, it, it seems to me, 
would be somebody to really create some excitement around his or her campaign. Would I be correct in just on the ground, it seeming that President Trump was the candidate out there of all candidates on both parties who uh, does seem to have the most motivated, excited, thrilled supporters? Yeah, there's absolutely no question about it. I mean, you know, whether you look at polling or you talk to voters, the the Trump voters are uh, energetic, they're enthusiastic. Uh, they are looking uh, for him to return to the White House. Um, you know, the DeSantis voters here in Iowa are also pretty enthusiastic. His base, uh, his his voting uh, share has diminished over time, but the ones who are still with him are pretty rock-ribbed. Um, you know, Haley has a, an issue that is evident in the polling, even though she came in uh, second in the latest NBC poll, which was released on Saturday. It was Trump 48, uh, Haley 20, and uh, DeSantis 16, one of the things that the poll revealed was that 43 percent of her voters um, are uh, plan to vote for Joe Biden in the general election. So um, and and the uh, highest level of enthusiasm for her, uh, the people who said they were most enthusiastic about her, that was 9 percent of her voters compared to 21 percent in December. So she has an enthusiasm problem and a, and a problem in closed Republican primaries that don't include Democrats and independents. Jonathan Allen of NBC, always great uh, to keep up with you. Stay warm, and we'll stay focused uh, on some of the issues around the world. On the Michael Medved show, uh, there is a general sense from people who are out there in Iowa waiting for the uh, caucuses to play out, which uh, they will tonight. And again, less chance for malfunction, apparently, with the Republican caucuses, which have a simpler agenda to them than the Democratic caucuses did four years ago. But... uh, Will there be clarity on the presidential race after the Iowa caucuses? Uh, almost certainly not. Uh, there is a, uh, as the New York Times reports, grim feelings saturate, saturate Iowa ahead of Monday's vote. And some of those grim feelings have to do with um, the, the general collapse of any confidence in our system of voting, in uh, our university system, in our health care system, in what public health officials tell us, even about very serious pandemics, and, uh, and all of that right next to that uh, idea that grim feelings saturate Iowa, there's another cause for grim feelings on the same page in the New York Times in a report by Kayla Guo and Julian E. Barnes. And it begins uh, with the heading, After briefing, UFOs stay a mystery to lawmakers. In other words, Congress is uh, letting little trivialities like the government closing down, letting that go for a while. They probably will do a stopgap. There appears to be an agreement between Mitch McConnell 
and uh, Chuck Schumer over on the Senate side, and then between uh, Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, and uh, Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader of the House. He doesn't so much agree with um, members of the Freedom Caucus. But, okay, we we'll, may get that solved, but what we won't solve is the question of alien bodies allegedly hidden by the United States government. Now, these are not uh, illegal aliens. <laughs> well, I guess they are. They, they, uh, these are aliens from outer space. And uh, suspected Pentagon cover-ups of secret spending programs, retaliation against any official who dares speak out. Perhaps no congressional briefing offers up more titillating claims or does less to illuminate them than the one about UFOs. On Friday, just before this weekend, members of Congress entered into such a session with burning questions only to receive hedged answers that they said did little to demystify what the government knows about extraterrestrial beings. The closed-door briefing with Thomas A. Monheim, the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community, was supposed to help members of the House Oversight Committee understand if there was any credibility to the bombshell claims made by a high-profile whistleblower back in July. But what, if anything, was actually said was far from clear. It didn't help the that the whole session was confidential. So the lawmakers were barred by law from relaying what they had heard. Not exactly a formula for combating the raft of conspiracy theories that has sprung up around UFOs, fueled by government reports documenting unexplained incidents with what it calls unidentified anomalous phenomena, and the recent whistleblower account. In July, that whistleblower, David Grush, a former intelligence official, testified that the U.S. government was holding non-human bodies taken from UFO crash sites, testified that the military is misusing funds to cover up a UAP crash retrieval and reverse engineering program, and that people had been injured in efforts to conceal these operations. He also alleged retaliation from his superiors for previously making similar claims. The Pentagon has denied the allegations. On Friday, some lawmakers saw tantalizing hints in Mr. Monheim's presentation that there might have been something to Mr. Grush's claims, and while the rules of a classified briefing... Uh, barred them from actually repeating what they had learned, they suggested the inspector general had found some of the claims credible. Which ones? No one was allowed to say. Now, this goes together with what people are feeling in Iowa. They're doing man-on-the-street interviews. And uh, they had um, one of the men-on-the-street, people in uh, Des Moines, getting ready for the Iowa caucuses, uh, told his in, in interlocutor that, yes, America does need a dictator. Uh, listen, this is clip 20. Donald Trump said on his first day he's going to be a dictator for a day. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I like that. Would you rather have Donald Trump as a dictator for four years or re-elect Joe Biden for four years? I would rather have Donald Trump. I'd like to see the repeal of the Roosevelt law so that he can be a president for a lot more than four years. But we, this country, needs a dictator. I hate to say that, but it's the truth. 
And uh, then a, a, another individual who uh, believes that we need to replace the fake president, Joe Biden. Uh, listen. Joe Biden has been dead since 2019. James Woods, the actor, is playing Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe, Poopy Pants. But the president is trying to get us back down with our economy because... So he is the president. Yes, he's very, he never conceded. He is very much the president of the republic. Biden has been doing all his White House pictures out there in California at Black Rock Studio with the fake green screen. Right. And so... He doesn't even live in the White House. Nobody lives in White House. Oh, so he's in California? Yeah. And, uh, well, I mean, given the kind of weather you sometimes get on the East Coast or the Midwest, uh, the, the idea that, that people are so incredibly negative about every institution, institutions that used to be widely, if not universally, respected, uh, like the Supreme Court, uh, like the FBI, uh, like the Justice Department. I mean, once uh, we move on from Iowa and head toward New Hampshire, uh, what's going to be happening with all of the impeachment discussion? Because uh, now there's a new name on the impeachment list. They are investigating the possibility of trying to impeach not just President Biden, but uh, also Secretary of Defense uh, Lloyd Austin, Attorney General uh, Merrick Garland, and and the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas. That's a busy agenda for folks on Capitol Hill. What about the agenda for the political decision that begins getting made tonight? We will get to that coming up on the Medved Show. Wake up, people! The Michael Medved Show. Snap out of it! Thanks for listening and subscribe today for our new Substack newsletter. That's Michael Medved's context, placing today's big events in the unique perspective of our past and our future. Go to michaelmedved.substack.com and sign up today for my uncensored take on current controversies. Ron DeSantis, and uh, he has been campaigning for the last couple of days in Iowa together with two of his former colleagues in the House of Representatives, because before he was governor of Florida, he was a member of the House for a couple of terms. Uh, DeSantis was flanked by Chip Roy of Texas and Thomas Massey of Kentucky, who were among the five members of the House who have endorsed DeSantis. Uh, there are about 20 members, I believe, so far, uh, and and added to them, uh, Senator Mike Lee endorsed President Trump just in the last few days. Uh, Senator Rubio endorsed President Trump in just the last few days. DeSantis uh, was flanked by Chip Roy and Thomas Massey campaigning in Iowa. And uh, he, uh, he actually spoke about the harsh words that have passed now between Vivek Ramaswamy and uh, and Donald Trump. Trump sent out two different truth social condemnations of Ramaswamy. 
uh, because Ramaswamy was uh, wearing and giving out T-shirts that said, uh, vote for Vivek, uh, save Trump. And in other words, that Trump was incapable of saving himself and winning on his own. Trump didn't like that at all. Uh, and this is uh, what DeSantis had to say about that dust-up and the recent uh, declaration on Truth Social by Donald Trump that Vivek is not MAGA. He just isn't. Trump is MAGA. Uh, here is uh, what DeSantis had to say. That, they, um, that, that he threw... Um, um, the, uh, the back, yeah, 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 yeah. He threw him under the bus. Um, you know, it's like... I've never seen a candidate run for an office and basically campaign for another candidate in the same race before, and that's what's happened. But the minute he wasn't useful, you know, they, 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 they dropped the hammer on it. So that's just kind of the way, way they are. But look, we're going to go forward as a party. We can go forward in a way that's focused on people's issues, that's focused on a great agenda for America, or we can go forward uh, with Trump, which will be focused, the 2024 election, on legal issues, on criminal trials, on convictions. And now, again, there is no question that uh, Ron DeSantis, and we saw this in the debate last Wednesday night, uh, that Ron DeSantis was more harsh than he has been before in some of the differences between himself and Trump. And uh, what what part of this, it, it seems to me, uh, it indicates is that uh, it's really not to uh, Nikki Haley's advantage for Ron DeSantis to drop out even if he comes in uh, third tonight in Iowa. Uh, she certainly wants Ron DeSantis to stay in at least till New Hampshire and through New Hampshire, where he won't do as well as she does in New Hampshire. But why is he still important? Here's Ron DeSantis commenting to MSNBC about how he means to stay in this presidential race regardless of where he finishes in the Iowa caucuses. Uh, clip 16. You are not dropping out of this race tonight or tomorrow, no matter what. Fair? We're, going, we're going on. Uh, we're, we're, this, we've been built for the long haul. It's all about the accumulation of delegates. Even if you come in third place tonight, there's no chance your campaign is dropping out. Is that what you're saying? There's no chance. We're in it for the long haul. We're going to do well. I know the media likes to do the speculation. I'm, I'm excited. Just asking the questions. I'm excited. I'm excited for the votes to come in because that'll be the first real data point. Okay, and uh, we will see about that. The polling all shows him running close to Nikki Haley, but behind. Now, why is that important for Nikki Haley that he stays in the race? Because in New Hampshire, where it looks like, according to all the polls, an exceedingly close race uh, within seven percentage points between Donald Trump, who's still running ahead, and Nikki Haley, who has been gaining steadily in New Hampshire and campaigning heavily there and investing a lot of money there. Uh, Ron DeSantis not doing at all well in New Hampshire in single digits. He's behind Chris Christie, or he was. Now, of course, people are assuming that if it comes down to a choice between Nikki Haley and Donald Trump, on the Republican side in New Hampshire, that those people who uh, were for Chris Christie 
are not going to go for Donald Trump. They are much more likely to go for Nikki Haley. And by the same token, uh, especially watching the the bitter sniping back and forth and bickering back and forth between Nikki Haley and and Ron DeSantis. Yeah, go to DeSantisLies.com, she said 14 times. With all of that going on, I don't think it's very likely that if DeSantis drops out, that uh, that Nikki Haley is going to pick up most of his votes, which could be 5%, could be 8%. In any event, those votes are much more likely to go to Trump. And in what could be a close race that really determines the shape of the whole campaign, uh, I mean, I think it could be decisive. So she wants... It seems to me uh, she wants DeSantis to stay in the race at least through New Hampshire uh, because he's not taking votes away from her as much as he is taking votes very likely away from Donald Trump. Uh, Nikki Haley also got her endorsement, an endorsement that uh, is not surprising because it's someone who's been very critical of President Trump. Larry Hogan, the two-term governor of Maryland, he was term limited, otherwise he would probably be governor again instead of it being taken over by a rising Democrat. Larry Hogan was on CNN with uh, Jake Tapper. And uh, he wanted to get his endorsement for Nikki Haley before the caucuses tonight. Clip five. You know, I've been saying since uh, last spring when I made the decision not to run that uh, I really uh, did not want to see a multi-car pileup that would just enable Donald Trump. I, I think we want to have the strongest possible nominee in November. Polls show that that is Nikki Haley, that she's 17 points ahead of Joe Biden. And uh, it's a toss up with Trump and Biden and DeSantis is losing. So, yes, um, I think uh, it's time for the party to get behind Nikki Haley. My friend Chris Christie dropped out of the race in New Hampshire. I appreciate his effort. Uh, but uh, I, I believe that Nikki Haley is the strongest chance uh, for us to put, put forth our best possible candidate for November. Okay, and this is very significant for another reason, because uh, Larry Hogan had been widely rumored to be together with Chris Christie, and Joe Manchin, uh, one of those possibilities to be on the no labels ticket. And this is uh, the operation that has accumulated, they say, about $70 million. They're already on the ballot. I believe it's 16 states. They have a position on the ballot. And uh, they are hoping to get a position on nearly all 50. They probably won't get all 50, but they can get most of them. And the idea being that they put together a ticket with one uh, uh, representative from one party running for president, and then you take the other party, because it's no labels, it's supposed to transcend partisanship. Larry Hogan, uh, the moderate Republican who was governor of Maryland very successfully, has been viewed as a likely candidate for this uh, no labels uh, a nomination. And Joe Manchin has already begun his listening tour, though it looks less and less likely that he will make that race. Uh, what did Larry Hogan have to say about that third party run for No Labels or anyone else? We'll get to that and more. 
coming up on the Medved Show. Medved live uh, right here in sunny, uh, though fairly chill Seattle. Uh, it's uh, down around freezing, but not below zero, 45 degrees below zero with the wind chill factor in Iowa right now and more or less statewide. Iowa's not a large state, but uh, what you're talking about is a very large and substantial cold snap that may have an impact on uh, the election, on the caucuses tonight. And one of the things about the caucuses tonight is that a lot of people are suggesting that the cold snap and the difficulty in going to the caucuses will actually help Trump because his supporters are so dedicated. And uh, actually, the other side of that argument is that Trump does particularly well, dominates, has over 50% support from people who have never caucused before, where this would be their first time caucus. But also the thinking is that with the very, very harsh weather, that those first-time caucus participants uh, who have never done it before are more likely to say, eh, yeah, he's going to win anyway, I don't need to. Uh, We will find all of that out. Concerning Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland, two-term governor of Maryland, very popular, he uh, was pretty directly clear on CNN uh, that he is not planning to run with no labels or any other third-party independent candidacy for president. Uh, Not for him. Listen, this is clip 14. My position on no labels has not changed. I'm focused on trying to uh, nominate the strongest possible Republican we can, which is why I'm urging everyone to get behind Nikki Haley. I I wish my friend Axe could come up with a better nominee for the Democrats, quite frankly, because 70 percent of the people in America do not want to vote for Joe Biden or Donald Trump. But no, I'm I, I, uh, they're going to, I think, uh, continue to try to get access to the ballot. They're going to wait and see if we're stuck with these two bad choices and, uh, on the November ballot. And, uh, you know, I think they'll make their decision in March or April. But my position has, has not changed. And the position being that uh, he does not plan, apparently, to run uh, with no labels. And, again, given the fact that we already have... Uh, independent candidates who are running and raising money and raising money pretty big time, including Robert Kennedy and Cornell West. And (laughs) if Cornell West got into the debate, uh, and again, you get into the debate by scoring 15% on national polling, I don't think Cornell West is close to that. And especially since a lot of his votes would be taken over by Jill Stein, who is also running as a Green Party candidate, as she always does. And who knows where Robert Kennedy's candidacy is coming from. There's also talk, there'd been talk uh, two weeks ago about Tulsi Gabbard, former Democratic representative from Hawaii, who uh, ran for president last time, uh, didn't gain much traction, but gained a lot of attention. 
and certainly uh, attention getting in the debates. In any event, she has been talked about. She has left the Democratic Party. She has left Congress. She wasn't voted out. She just didn't run for re-election. She has been conducting a media career and been discussed as a possible running mate for Trump. Now, given the fact that Trump has said that he has already decided on his running mate, uh, would that be a shock, a, a good move for him? Tulsi Gabbard, she is a military veteran. And uh, she, <laughs> to say she's a conservative would be going too far. I, I believe she has expressed skepticism about the COVID vaccines and uh, taken other issues that would recommend her as a potential running mate either for Donald Trump or for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. with his campaign which seems to be flourishing, at least according to the polls. Uh, meanwhile, there, uh, there is this, and it's, it's really very remarkable. There's a column by Max Boot uh, written after the final, the testimony, uh, which was Thursday and Friday before the International Court of Justice accusing Israel of genocide. And uh, Max Boot, columnist for the Washington Post and uh, syndicated around the world, says, as Israel's war against Hamas passed the 100-day mark, Israelis struggle to understand how their country could be accused of carrying out genocide in a war they did not start. If any party to the conflict is guilty of attempted genocide, it is Hamas. This terrorist organization, which is explicitly dedicated to the destruction of the Jewish state, has carried out terrible war crimes, including the murder of Israeli civilians, the kidnapping of more than 200 Israelis, including old people and very young children, and the widespread use of rape and sexual violence against Israeli girls and women. Yet last week it was Israel, not Hamas, that found itself in the dock at the International Court of Justice in The Hague. How can this be? Part of the answer lies, of course, in the double standard that the world routinely applies to the Jewish state. The government of South Africa, which brought the genocide case against Israel, exemplifies this contemptible hypocrisy. The same court to which South Africa now brings its case ruled on March 6, uh, 2022, that Russia had to stop its illegal war of aggression against Ukraine. Russia ignored the judgment and continues to target Ukrainian cities for destruction. The United States estimates that Russia has killed at least 10,000 Ukrainian civilians, a number that would be far higher if not for Ukraine's robust air defenses. The United Nations has also found that Russian authorities have committed, quote, the war crimes of torture, rape, and other sexual violence and deportation of children to the Russian Federation. Meanwhile, China brutally oppresses its Uyghur uh, uh, minority, leading the United Nations to charge that its actions might constitute crimes against humanity. The United States calls China repression genocide, yet South Africa refuses to join in condemnation of either Russia or China at the UN. Indeed, last year, South Africa participated in joint naval exercises with China and Russia. Putting this all in context, there's also was a terrific uh, piece over the weekend in uh, the Wall Street Journal about an operation called Memory, 
memory, that's M-E-M-R-I. It's called the uh, Middle East, uh, the Middle East Media Research Institute. And what they do is they actually monitor what these terrorists, like the leaders of Hamas, say. And one of the things that was most important recently was that memory was uh, monitoring Hamas in the midst of the trendy calls for a ceasefire, and this written about in the Wall Street Journal, which is the key to a Hamas victory. Memory's translations have furnished supporters of Israel with a knockdown reply to the people calling for a ceasefire. What good is a ceasefire when Hamas pledges to repeat its October 7th massacre again and again? The quote is from Ghazi Hamad, a Hamas Politburo member, in an October 24th appearance on Lebanese television, just uh, two weeks after their first attack. Uh, we know about it because memory was watching. We will do the same thing again and again, Mr. Hamad says in Arabic. The Al-Aqsa flood, Hamas's uh, name for the October 7th operation, is, quote, just the first time, and there will be a second, a third, a fourth. Hamas terrorists are open about their intentions, but they aren't broadcasting it to the West points out Steve Stolinsky of memory. When he wants, Mr. Hamad poses as a humanitarian, lately praising Canada, Australia, and New Zealand in English for supporting a ceasefire. Messrs. Carman uh, and Stolinsky, there's the people from memory, try to bridge the language gap to inform the West. Every so often it works. Uh, memory's translation of Mr. Hamad's remarks have been quoted uh, repeatedly by Secretary of State Antony Blinken and National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. And that is encouraging. So what about foreign policy and all of the other issues? Uh, There's a statement somewhat shocking by Bernie Sanders. We will get to that. And much more about the politics of Caucus Day on Martin Luther King Holiday Day here in this greatest nation on God's green earth. 